Today on Ag News Daily. I have some friends back home that saw my interest and they said to me, you know, you're not going to be able to start unless you're given the opportunity. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here flying solo on today's Ag News Daily podcast. Mike Pearson is out sick today, unfortunately. The change in weather is really getting to him, and I got to admit, the weather is getting to me too. We got quite a bit of snow, probably half an inch to an inch of snow here in central Iowa last night. And I think quite a bit of the state of Iowa got some snow. Let us know if you got snow on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Agnews Daily. Send us those pictures of how your harvest is coming, if there's snow-covered fields, or if you're getting some rain. But I think hopefully we're past the rain phase now, and I think now we're just on to the snow phase. So not fun, but I guess it is that time of year. Also, for those of you active on social media, I've been doing a social media takeover today on Instagram, specifically for all those Insta followers out there at Ag News Daily and at Global Ag Network. Been sharing kind of the behind the scenes of how the podcast gets put together. So maybe it's exciting to you, maybe it's not, but do check us out on there today. It should be available for about 24 hours in case you're listening to this on this episode on Friday and thinking, oh shoot, I've missed it. You still might be able to catch some of what we're doing. So do stay tuned. Do go ahead and check that out at Ag News Daily on Facebook or Instagram most specifically. But guys, let's get to some news for today. There's a lot going on in the world of agriculture. And I want to kick it off with some follow-up news that I reported on yesterday. And that's talking about the Supreme Court's hearing of the EPA regulations of groundwater. They're going to make their own ruling And it was originally a court case brought up in the 9th District Circuit Court happening in Hawaii. And if you'll think back to yesterday's episode, it was a court case arguing that that there are farmers and there are wastewater treatment plants in Maui that are having groundwater from wells that are ending up in the Pacific Ocean and polluting the Pacific Ocean. So it is being appealed right now in the Supreme Court. And yesterday we heard quite a bit of briefs and arguments on that case. Dozens of states and organizations filed briefs in this case, including the American Farm Bureau Federation and other farm groups who are essentially worried that if the high courts uphold this appeals decision, many ag practices such as manure storage could fall under that regulatory umbrella. Another justice, specifically from the Supreme Court, issued a statement saying that they're still unsure of exactly what they're going to do, but he's worried that about 500 million people would have to apply for an EPA permit if they do uphold this decision, this appeal by the ninth filed by the ninth district court. So it's sounding likely, we don't know for sure yet, but it's sounding likely from a couple of people speculating on this court case, a couple of attorneys, that 
it's likely the Supreme Court is going to uphold the Ninth Circuit decision on these facts and basically say that there's got to be a limiting principle so that all of those people do not have to apply for a permit. It's a lot of confusion. Uh, there's a lot of great articles out right now. Check out AgriPulse's article for one called Supreme Court Searches for Limits to EPA Regulation of Groundwater. That's a great one that I have been reading up on to do a little more digging, a little more background knowledge, but it's a confusing subject, that's for sure. In other news, I want to take it over to trade news at this point. We have seen U.S. and Chinese negotiators continue discussions, and they have now agreed, U.S. and Chinese negotiators both, have agreed to eliminate some tariffs during phases as talks continue to finalize a partial phase one deal. Negotiations, of course, are not yet finished, but both countries have agreed to cut tariffs as a necessary precondition of phase one. We don't yet know a timeline for that phase one, and it's also looking like the Chinese administration is putting a lot of pressure on the Trump administration and President Trump specifically not to release that next round of tariffs to go into effect, I believe, December 12th, December 10th. It would be about another $250 billion worth of Chinese goods that would have tariffs on them. And so it sounds like at this point in time, those tariffs will not go into effect. But I think it's really going to be a matter of if we see some sort of preliminary deal signed or not. And other trade-related news we have seen. The U.S. House Democrats and... Prime Minister, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, as well as a couple of his other top negotiation officials, met on Wednesday to discuss, once again, the USMCA agreement. Most of the talks were apparently focused on the Democratic efforts to create new labor standards, specifically those enforced in Mexico. It sounds like they had a good discussion, but really other than that, we don't know a lot of news about a current timeline other than Prime Minister Justin Trudeau issued a statement saying that they have, quote, reached a good place where we have the right deal for Canada, the United States, and Mexico. It is a pleasure to see the positive momentum that seems to be happening on this renewal on this very important trade deal. So that's all the comments that they made there. Is that optimistic? Is it not? Uh, you can take that how you want to. Another issue that we've been talking about quite a bit on the podcast, and we're going to have a great interview tomorrow on the podcast, is the propane shortage or the propane transportation issues. We'll be talking tomorrow with the National Propane Gas Association to discuss those issues. And I'm also going to do a little blurb this week in our Global Ag Network newsletter discussing what I've found from both the producer side of things as well as the association level or the supplier level of things. So if you'd like to read my thoughts on that, what I've composed, what I've found, my ear to the ground, so to speak, head to our website, globalagnetwork.com. In the left-hand corner there, you'll hear, you'll see, subscribe to our newsletter and you can get that in your inbox every Friday morning. It's a free newsletter. We've got a lot of great content in there, but this week I'll be focusing on the propane issues. 
It seems now that farmers in the northern U.S. are also struggling to find propane to dry their crops and heat their homes, especially as we're expected to see below average temperatures here for the next 10 to 12 days. According to the CEO of the Iowa Propane Gas Association, it's actually not a shortage problem, but rather a transportation problem. For whatever reason, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in depth tomorrow, there has been an issue getting propane delivered to these different states. And the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration recently issued an emergency disaster declaration for folks in Iowa, Illinois, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, South Dakota, and Wisconsin They've actually waived the hours of service requirements for haulers transporting specifically propane. It is not keeping up with harvest, and as we've seen this year, we've had a really, really wet year. Corn dryers are not able to run without that propane. We've seen suppliers allocate out propane gallons or propane usage, and so, you know, it's that chicken and egg situation where... You want to get the crop out of the ground, but if you don't have access to propane to run those dryers, then that wet corn is just sitting in the bin, and that's not great either. So we will talk about that, the timeline for getting those issues resolved tomorrow on the podcast. I know it affects a lot of your livelihoods, so I think tomorrow's episode will hopefully be a good one and one that you should definitely tune in for. I think the only other piece of news I have for today, besides, of course, looking at where the commodity markets closed for the day, and of course, folks, the WASD report is coming out tomorrow. There have been a lot of expectations from analysts about what we'll see, but remember, the USDA is going to adjust acreage for Minnesota and I believe North Dakota, possibly South Dakota tomorrow, so that could change things up for the WASD report, or... It might not change up anything. You never really know with the USDA. But the only other piece of news I had for today was a new study looking at the continued gap widening between urban and rural America. And no, it's not related to food in this instance, but it's related to health care. We continue to see rural residents have obviously better access to health care, or excuse me, we continue to see urban residents have better access to health care, widening that gap. Rural residents, according to a study put together by the CDC, rural residents are far more likely to die from preventable diseases and causes than people living in the cities, and that urban-rural health gap has gotten considerably worse over recent years, according to the new report put together by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They showed in 2017 about 21.7% of cancer deaths in most rural counties were potentially preventable compared with in 2018 only 3 point, or excuse me, in 2017 compared to 3.2% of folks in urban counties that year. In 2010, 28% of deaths from cancer in most, 28% of deaths from cancer in most rural areas and 17.9% of those in most urban areas were preventable. So if you consider 17.9% in urban areas compared to 3.2% in 2017, 
a big shrinkage there in urban areas. While you look at the rural areas, it is getting better. To, uh, in 2010, it was 28% of deaths could have been preventable compared to 2017, 21%. But they're saying overall, the gap between those two areas is really widening for heart disease, cancer, chronic lower respiratory diseases, and others. They didn't really note a solution to this, but I think healthcare is just something that is not going to go away anytime soon. We see, of course, the presidential elections are now less than one year away until we decide who our new president is, if it remains to be President Trump or a new Democratic candidate. But that is definitely something that a lot of those folks are taking as a campaign platform. And I don't think that it's anything that will be going away anytime soon. All right, well, I think that does it for today's news. Let's take a quick peek at today's Hot Rod Farmer Minute, brought to us, of course, by our partner, Ray Bohax of the Idle Chatter Podcast. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I'm Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast found on the Global Ag Network. There is not an engine oil leak more frustrating than a rear main seal. In addition, these are the most burdensome to repair. There are three types of rear main crankshaft seals in use. Rope slash wick seal. The seal got its name from its appearance that resembles a rope. The material is engineered to withstand the high RPM of the crankshaft while rubbing against it at extreme temperature swings. Neoprene slash split seal. Made from a rubber-like material, this is a two-piece lip-style seal. Its design is like a front timing cover seal, the difference being the split seal does not use any metal retainer. When looking at a split seal, there will be a lip on one side. The lip must face the crankshaft to seal the oil from leaking. If the seal is installed backwards, it will leak immediately on engine startup. One piece seal. This is a neoprene style seal that is completely round and is installed in similar fashion as a timing cover seal. This, this type of seal has proven to be the most effective at being trouble free. But when it does need to be serviced, either the engine or transmission must be removed for access. A small amount of oil is supplied to each style seal via the rear main cap to keep it lubricated so it does not run dry and wear out prematurely. Oils also uses a swelling agent to keep the seal tight against the cap and crankshaft. When faced with a rear main seal leak, some choices need to be made. In many applications, the engine will need to come out and possibly have the crankshaft removed, especially with a rope seal. There are agents on the market that will temporarily swell the seal and either eliminate or slow the leak sufficiently to make it acceptable to you. Motor oil that is labeled for high mileage engines traditionally has a higher level of swelling agent and may be a good first step before a stop leak product is added to the crankcase. Either one is not a repair. again a big thank you there to ray do check out his podcast if you've got any interest in machinery and machinery upkeep 
He's really just got lots of tips and tricks. You can find his podcast, Idle Chatter, on Global Ag Network. But let's take a look at the commodity markets now. And it seems like soybeans were the big winner today. Checking off first, though, in the December corn contract, we ended down three and a half cents to close at three seventy-five and a quarter, while the March contract down four cents to close at three eighty-three and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the November front month contract up ten cents on the day to close at nine twenty-five, while the January closed up nine cents to end at nine thirty-six and a half. In the Chicago wheat pits, the December contract closed down four and a quarter cent to end at five twelve and a half. The March shed four and a quarter cent to close at five seventeen and a quarter. Looking over into the livestock pit, the live cattle contract December front month contract was unchanged to end at one nineteen even. The February added fifteen cent today to close at one twenty four eighty five. In the feeder cattle pits. November contract lost two cents on the day to close at one forty six seventy seven and a half. The January closed up a dollar thirty five to close at one forty five seventy seven and a half. And for all our dairy producers out there, I wanted to share this interesting little piece of news that was shared with us at Ag News Daily on Twitter, and that is milk prices. They are the highest milk prices that we have seen in quite some time. Skim milk powder prices have increased 26 to 47% across the U.S., Europe, and the Oceania areas over the past year, according to the U.S. Dairy Export Council. And the average price in those three areas hit over $2,500 per metric ton in October, the highest average since 2014 this is a good time finally to be a milk producer but unfortunately those gains that we've seen recently could not be sustained into today the november contract shed 28 cents to close at 1995 while the december closed 59 cents lower on the day to end at 1905 now for today's interview, I'm very excited to introduce a new voice to the Ag News Daily Podcast, one that you may be hearing more frequently, and that is Jenna Hoffman, a senior at Iowa State University. Well, folks, next week I will be heading down to Kansas City to attend the National Association of Farm Broadcasters, and since Mike is in Chicago this year, he's not going to be making the trek down with me, but... We have a wonderful senior at Iowa State University, Jenna Hoffman, who will be doing some field reporting with me down there in Kansas City. So I wanted to introduce Jenna to our listeners today so that you guys know the story behind Jenna and can connect with her when she is interviewing folks at Kansas City. So Jenna, first of all, thanks for joining today. Yes, thank you for having me, Delaney. Okay, Jenna, so tell our listeners your background story and how you got to Iowa State, what you're studying, that kind of a thing. Right. Thank you for um, asking about that. So I started out in Rhinebeck, Iowa. That's my hometown. And after school there, I decided to pursue a degree in biology at the University of Northern Iowa. Um, My intention after graduating from the University of Northern Iowa was to go on to med school to be an OBGYN. But it didn't take too long for me to be at UNI for me to realize, you know, maybe I like animals more than people. So I moved on to Iowa State and I started out here 
in the animal science program and then kind of navigated my way through um, agronomy and then ag communications. And now I've just got a broad ag degree, um, kind of working on the communica communication side a little bit more. Uh, this last summer, I worked for the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network out of Des Moines and um, learned a lot there, made a lot of networking connections, and that's kind of transformed my uh, view for the future here um, in agricultural communications. I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to end up yet. I've kind of got a business I'm trying to start up, but I'm super excited to continue learning in ag communications and utilizing, into places, utilizing that at places like NAFB and uh, hopefully a company in here at in May it'll be when I graduate so yeah yeah so you got a lot of irons in the fire you're graduating in May so that's always a good and a bad time it's exciting to be moving on to that next chapter but maybe a little scary that you got to figure out what that next chapter is so we're glad that you're testing the waters with Ag News Daily I think it'll be a good experience for you Yes, I'm very excited. Just some more experience under my belt, too, but getting to make those connections and telling the stories to farmers that need to know the information and then convey those stories back to the public. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. So, Jenna, you grew up in Rhinebeck, Iowa. And so for those of our listeners that aren't from Iowa, that's a pretty rural area. It's about an hour east of Des Moines. Uh, but you didn't grow up necessarily on a farm. Jenna, tell us about why you decided to get into agriculture then if you're from a rural area, but just maybe didn't grow up on a farm. Right. So right back's about 2,000 people and my hometown or my spot in hometown was right across the street from the Presbyterian Church. So definitely no involvement with livestock or row crop besides the pioneer plant that was there, which is obviously Corteva now. But um I started to get my interest in agriculture, obviously, because I was surrounded by it, but mostly through a friend that uh, was baling hay one summer and needed some help. So I started helping him out baling hay. He does custom baling. Um, so I was helping out with that. And then he started his own uh, small cow-calf operation over there. And when I started feeding cattle for him, um, I really found my passion there with uh, livestock, especially cattle. And then kind of got some experience with transferring embryos and artificial insemination and things like that. And it just spiraled into, you know, where God wanted me to be. And that's here today. Um, I have to admit that I don't think a lot of people would bail hay and then be like, yep, I love this. I want to be involved in agriculture. I mean, that's probably like <laughs> one of the worst jobs you could have possibly started with. No, it's so true. But there's just something simple about being an attractor, of course, but being a small part of the big picture, you know, I mean, the hay goes across the nation. Uh, the guy I worked for actually hauled some hay down to Oklahoma when they had all of the um, issues down there with the weather and fires and whatnot. So that message just really sent my heart, you know, life can be simple and be amazing. And I guess I'm just a simple person that appreciates those small those uh, small tasks and watching them grow into something great, like feeding back to horses and cattle and watching them grow. There's, I mean, that's just agriculture, I guess. I wish more people would be able to see it that way too, or get the exposure like I was um, given the opportunity to have. But I don't know, I guess it just tripped a trigger inside me that made me realize this is who I am. Absolutely. I love that. I think it's so natural to want to be connected to the earth and to the food that we eat and all that stuff. But Jenna, so I know just 
from our personal relationship that you have one cow, you have a one cow herd. Is that, was that started because of your summer when you worked for this farmer doing embryo transfers and working with their cattle herd? Um, so that, that kind of spiral from that. Yes. I, I went to artificial insemination certification school, you know, thinking that this would be really useful in the future. And it has proved to be that way, but also, you know, I needed something to practice on after I got done out of school. So I have some friends back home that saw my interest and they said to me, you know, you're not going to be able to start unless you're given the opportunity. And obviously I don't have land right now. I can't get a cow to feed on my, my uh, pastures, which I don't have. So they offered uh, to have me purchase one of their uh, calves and let her stay there until I'm able to obtain a couple acres and kind of do some hobby work with that. And maybe I'll utilize AI there. Um, actually that heifer is bred and she's due here in January. So we'll get to see what um, kind of cow she throws off that, but I'm just excited for the future with that and watching my herd grow through the AI and maybe some embryo transfer work there too. It just, just all kind of fell in my lap and it was, it was perfect. Oh, that's really neat. Well, that'll be a fun experience for you, your first calving season. At least you only have one calf. You've got a calf this year, but uh, I'm interested. I'll be interested to see and hear how that goes for you. Oh, me too. Me too, for sure. Uh, <laughs> hopefully no complications, but hopefully. you know, agriculture's unpredictable. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not. So Jenna, you worked in the in the animal industry. How did you then transition and decide, okay, I like the animal industry, but maybe ag communications is more where I fit in? So that's an especially important topic to hit on because with myself not coming from an agricultural background, I think that it's really important um, to be able to convey what I learned back to the people that were raised like I was. So I really started to see the disconnect when I sat in a class and thought to myself, wow, you know, I can't believe this is the practices that they do on animals. But then after I heard the explanation, it made sense. You know, there's a lot of people that don't get those explanations and they have this bad image of agriculture. So I think it's really important to convey those messages to people that are consumers. You know, they're not from the rural areas, they're more urban. So they're not understanding what's going on, what they're eating, um, why we do what we do. And that just really tripped the trigger for me for agricultural communications. It just it's huge. I mean, it's a huge gap that we need to really work on. So I guess that's where my, all my energy is concentrated as now. And I think that you're in a unique position because you didn't come from a farm. So you maybe understand how those type of people think that didn't come from an ag operation. When you look then at like when you're communicating with people both on the farm and people from off the farm, how does your message tailor to one of those two groups of people? How do you use what you grew up knowing to communicate with both parties? Well, there's actually a really good example of this I've kind of been sharing with people lately. Um, with the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network that I worked for this summer, we were at the Iowa State Fair, you know, gathering uh, interviews and tampering with the uh, audio there to get it all to fit into our radio broadcast. But the way that we were supposed to put those pieces together was in a room at the Iowa State Fair where all of the um, media outlets from the presidential candidates were. So people from ABC, you know, all those different outlets were uh, in the basement of this media center. And one of the girls was, I, I had overheard her having a conversation with someone else, uh, one of her employees. They had just gone to see the dairy cows and they were so confused 
by how the cows were so skinny. They didn't get it. And, you know, we could criticize them about that, but that's not the right way to go about it. So I decided to walk up to them and say, you know, I hear, I hear what you're talking about. And, um, I totally understand why you feel that way. Um, I studied this at Iowa state. Here's what's going on. So I put it in the perspective of, um, just like a woman breastfeeding. I try to put it into the perspective of a human. So something that they could relate to. And obviously their girls, they have a little more connection to that as well. But, um, just applying that, you know, when a woman, after she's had her baby, she's breastfeeding, she loses weight really quickly. The same is to be said for dairy cows and we can feed them, feed them, feed them, but sometimes that isn't enough for them. So that's the main way that I've found is the easiest avenue to connect with consumers, you know, putting into a perspective that they can really understand is themselves, especially. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's such a great example of of how to explain it to those people. I was also in the media room and I think this year, gosh, I can't remember the, I think it was like 5,600 media credentials were given out for the Iowa state fair because of the presidential presidential elections. And usually it's like 150. So like the number of people that were here in Iowa that just had never even been to a rural area was, was a lot of people. And it's, it's neat that you were able to, share that experience with them. Right. And I think that farmers have the opportunity to do that as well in the barns there at the fairgrounds. You know, there are a lot of people that come to our Iowa State Fair. That is something that we talk about a lot here in Iowa. But the opportunity that farmers have to convey their message, answer questions, you know, maybe next year some of them might feel so obliged to put out a sign that says, you have questions, we have your answers or something like that to help consumers feel that it's okay to ask those questions. So then we have the opportunity to clarify and kind of make our industry a bit more sturdy. That's awesome. I love that idea. Putting signs out at the county or state fair. Jenna, before I let you go, you're going to be broadcasting for us next week at the NAFB convention. Is there anything else that you want our listeners to know ahead of that convention? One thing I want you to know is that I'm going to be there all week, so be prepared for a lot of information to come out because there's going to be a lot happening at uh, NAFB next week, lots of interviews, uh, lots of networking opportunities, lots of information for us to inform our listeners on. So I think that to be ready to listen to A&D every day. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Jenna, thanks so much for joining today and looking forward to hanging out with you next week in Kansas City. Yes, you as well. Thank you so much, Delaney. All right. Well, a big thank you again to Jenna. Do reach out to her on Twitter. Her handle is at Jenna Hoffman with a backwards three. I guess a a three as an E looks like a backwards E. Uh, Reach out to her on Twitter. She'll be joining us next week in Kansas City. So you will definitely hear her voice to come on the Ag News Daily Podcast. But if you folks have things that you'd like us to be covering in the world of agriculture and news, we'll have a ton of great industry representatives next week. Really the cream of the crop as far as all industries within agriculture are concerned. So if there's any specific questions you want answered, send them to us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at AgNewsDaily. Or you can always shoot us an email. Mine is Delaney at AgNewsDaily.com. Or you can always contact us through our website, globalagnetwork.com. Well, I think that should do it for today's Ag News Daily podcast. I will let everybody go and see everybody tomorrow. 